Hello, everybody. My name is Kyla Ventura, and I am a podcast contributor for the Daily Bruin, UCLA student newspaper. Today, we will be discussing loneliness, specifically among students at UCLA. UCLA has over 30,000 undergraduate students. Despite being surrounded by thousands of peers, it can be easy to feel alone. We wanted to talk to students and professors about their experiences regarding loneliness and get their advice on feeling less alone. Today, we will start by understanding the relevance of loneliness among adolescents, the impact of loneliness on physical and mental health, then move to the effect social media has on loneliness, the importance of quality relationships and finding a sense of belonging, and then ways to become less lonely at UCLA. We interviewed Dr. Jennifer Silvers, who is an associate professor at UCLA in the Department of Psychology. She teaches brain and behavioral basis of emotion, primarily for childhood through young adulthood. And she studies how social ties shape emotional behavior across development at the Social Effective Neuroscience and Development Lab. The first thing I would say about loneliness that's important to note is that being lonely and being isolated are related, but they're not exactly the same thing. Being isolated is something that can be defined more objectively or concretely as measured by how much contact you're having with other people. And loneliness is more of your subjective experience with it. So I think that's where the the feelings part comes in, is if you're feeling lonely, that typically means that you're saying, I'm not having my social needs met and it makes me feel bad. That's um, more of an emotional piece. Whereas one can be alone and not feel lonely at all. So I think it's figuring out that connection between whether you're having the amount and type of social connection that you feel is needed for you and whether it's satisfying um, is really the critical piece to getting the link between emotions and uh, the experience of loneliness. We also interviewed Dr. Andrew Fulingi, who is a professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Psychology here at UCLA. Dr. Fulingi directs the Adolescent Development Lab, which examines how the cultural beliefs and values of adolescents shape their relationships, education, and health. There have been a number of psychological and physical health correlates of loneliness among adolescents and young adults. Um, Psychologically, it tends to be linked to poor psychological well-being. Um, There is a link with depressive feelings and symptoms um, and things like that, other kinds of internalizing kinds of symptoms. Uh, Physically, it's been associated with poor sleep, um, and uh, it's also been linked to Um, what are called inflammation-related processes, which is the extent to which is part of the immune system of the body, as you know. And there are different aspects of social and psychological experience that might be associated with exaggerated immune activity, particularly in in relation to inflammation. And um, over time, heightened levels of inflammation over many years or decades could really lead to some poor health outcomes. So it's not that an episode of loneliness or a short period of time might be associated with significant health outcomes, but if someone was experiencing it across many years, if it's leading to heightened levels of inflammation or heightened levels of sleep disruption, that would bring cause for concern. 
Dr. Silvers also spoke to the impact of loneliness on mental health. Definitely, it can be a contributor to, to mental health challenges um, at an early age in a noticeable way. I would also say that it's a bit of a tricky thing to unpack because there's evidence for there being bi-directional connections between loneliness and poor mental health. So if someone is feeling lonely, it's going to make them feel worse and it can trigger mental health difficulties. But if somebody is struggling with mental health problems, it also can lead them to engage in behaviors that might make them more lonely. For example, by avoiding people because they feel like they're not interesting enough because they're feeling worried that they're going to say the wrong thing, that they're not going, that they might be rejected. Um, and that can trigger more loneliness as a result. UCLA has about 32,400 undergraduate students, but students can still feel lonely. Sometimes it can feel like everyone but you has a million friends. In our interviews, we learned that this is a common feeling. We spoke with undergraduate student Allison Lee, who is a third-year human biology and society major. She plans to work in the medical field after graduation. She studies health and its intersection with humanities. I found myself getting really nervous thinking about college starting and just being able to make friends in such a different environment away from home, especially being at a school where we have an undergraduate population of around 30,000 people and a total student population of close to, I think, 44,000 was really daunting to me. And I think, you know, you hear growing up that going to a really big school can make you feel really small, can make you feel really lonely when you're in a class and you look around and there's some 300 other students around you in a lecture hall. It can make you feel um, very isolated which is kind of ironic given how many people here are here at the school, but it can definitely make you feel very lonely or isolated just being around so many people and feeling like you're just another number, or just another, you know, student and trying to find your place at such a large school. Dr. Jennifer Silvers added to this. It's amazing how lonely someone can feel while being surrounded by people. And I think that speaks to the importance of establishing these meaningful connections. Another thing that can be a really big, big predictor of loneliness in college students is a sense of belonging. That's one of the, the biggest predictors that, um, that we see is if folks feel that they belong where they are and if they feel a sense of connection to the, the broader place, not just to like one other friend, but feeling like, um, I identify as a Bruin, for example, but feeling like this is a place where I have something to contribute. Um, I, I do belong here and there's a reason that I'm here. That's going to make a big difference. That's also a big factor for people in reducing a sense of loneliness, as well as other types of negative emotions, depression, et cetera. Feeling that you have something to contribute can be huge. So another way to reduce loneliness and, you know, maybe make the world a little bit of a better place to think about is if there's opportunities for you to volunteer, if there's opportunities for you to be a mentor, to help other people, that often can be a really fantastic way also to kind of get out of a loneliness rut and to um, allow folks to, to build a sense of connection. Dr. Falingi added to this. I also want to make sure that 
your listeners don't think that if they're feeling lonely for a period of time that they really are going to end up having very significant physical problems. This really is the kind of thing where we, you know, of course, you know, we see elevated levels of inflammation or a stress response all the time. We need to have this. This is part of how we survive. It's just that if we experience this for many, for long periods of time without having the positive kinds of effects. Um, one thing that's very interesting to us, and this is one thing that I study with some of my colleagues on campus is what's going on in the brain when people do things for other folks. And what's really interesting is when we look at networks in the brain that tend to be associated with reward and positive feelings, those very same networks, those very same regions of the brain tend to be active when you do things for other people as when you receive a reward yourself. So if you play a game or if you win the lottery and you do, you know, we do all kinds of ways to study this when we're looking at what's going on in people's brain when they're in an MRI scanner. Um, when you win something for yourself, you see activation in regions that tend to be associated with reward. Those very same regions tend to be active when you do things for others. So it's a very striking kind of finding that this kind of neural system that tends to be associated with both social interaction and also feeling a sense of reward tends to be triggered when you do things for other people. We often think of social media as a way for us to connect with tons of people. But does social media have the adverse effect of making us more lonely since these interactions are only virtual? We spoke with undergraduate student Kiara Frank, who is the outreach representative for UCLA's Active Minds Club, a mental health advocacy group that works to change the conversation about mental illness. Kind of like being in a lecture hall and you get there and there's like 300 people in the room and some of them, yeah, a lot of them you don't know, but also like, you, yeah, you don't, you can only see what's from the outside. You see them like writing on their like iPad or notebook and you know, they, they seem focused, like they're understanding everything. And, and all you, all you can take from that is, is what I'm doing. Am I, am I not able to do that? You know, am I not able to be at that standard that other people are? And so I think, yeah, with social media, I think there's also a lot of can be also anxiety driven from that. I mean, it also depends on the person, like when, you know, what will other people think of what I'm posting? I think there's a lot of, there can be a lot of anxiety that goes into that, which the more time we spend on like social media and everything that kind of builds up. And so I think that can really impact our own insecurities about ourselves, which can impact our like daily mental health and everything. Um, when we, when we do post something like speaking of our experience, I think when I like there are times when I've wanted to like post something on Instagram, but I'll spend so long sitting there trying to decide what the caption should be or which photos to put. Like there's only 10. Oh no. Like what should I put? Like, I don't know. Like which photos or like, should I put one more? I think there's just, you know, there's so many of those like aspects and of course it, people will look at it differently and everyone is coming in with different kind of like experiences, what photos they want to post and everything. But I think that that can become stressful just inputting these photos and deciding all these details about how we're presenting ourselves to the, you know, the internet in, in that way and whether or just like the people that um, like we follow and things like that. So I think there can be a lot of stress driven from that, like worrying about, you know, there's the, like I said, the one side about what we're seeing and thinking, oh, it, and like, am I not enough maybe, or this person's posting a lot, should I be posting more? And I think it's, there are positives. I mean, like, as you said, it has become a way of communication and through like through clubs on campus and stuff like that, that's how they'll put out information and everything. But I think on the other hand, when it's our like personal kind of like account or our 
our, yeah, ourselves, our identity that we're expressing in a certain way, especially when they're feeling alone and they go to, like at college, you come and you're surrounded by all these people and you feel alone, you may go to social media and to find that connection, which can be helpful to connect with people from home and things like that, but also to take into account, you know, when you're seeing is may not be the whole story for everyone's uh, pictures that you're seeing. Dr. Andrew Falingi also spoke about the effect of social media. When we look at the research on social media and mental health, the associations are not very strong um, and they tend to be most evident for those who probably are engaging in extraordinarily high levels of social media activity. Um, and if they tended to have some more psychological difficulties even before they engage in those activities. I think the question about social media would be, is it displacing other kinds of in-person interactions that we know are important um, for healthy functioning and development? If it is completely displacing that, then that would bring cause for concern. At the same time, social media provides a way to connect in ways that we don't always have. Um, certainly during the pandemic and during a lot of the, the severe restrictions on social interaction, they were really made a huge difference to everybody. I'm sure you experienced this as well in order to be able to connect with your friends and other folks. Social media is also important for members of marginalized groups who feel that they have difficulty meeting other people like them or getting to know them. So sexual minority youth, for example, social media has been very important for them over the years to connect with other folks who are like them or, or thinking through the same kinds of issues as they are, particularly if they don't have the opportunity to do that in their own communities, if they don't have a family that's supportive and so on and so on. And so I think the thing to think about is that social media is here. It's, 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 it's an important part of our lives. Um, we need to think about, make sure that it's not, that it provides important connections, but we want to make sure that it's not displacing the very real need to still interact with people in person, getting together with groups and socializing with others. Dr. Jennifer Silvers spoke about the nuance of social media. For a lot of folks, when they come to UCLA, um, that's a, that can be a tough transition of figuring out how to build that social support network here and to allow for the fact that it might take time and putting yourself out there a bit, but to focus on building um, a few strong relationships here. And so I think one thing is, is to allow for that expansion a bit, that, not to say you need to build a million relationships, but to build some. I think that there is some evidence that excessive use of social media can be distracting or problematic, but I'll say that there are a lot of caveats to that. There are some people who great, get great social support through social media um, and who can connect with people. For example, if you're in a, a marginalized community that's um, where it's harder to make connections with people who share your identity, social media can be a great way to connect with other people who have similar lived experiences and you can get support that way. I would also say that a lot of times when people struggle with social media or where it makes them actually feel more lonely, it's often because they're actually feeling lonely in real life and then going to social media. Not so much that social media is causing it in a vacuum. So if you're already in a negative place or you're feeling like you're struggling a bit, I would definitely get off the social media during those times. If you're feeling pretty good, it's not going to it's not going to probably do much to you. But uh, I think that's the an important sort of caveat. And that's my take of the, the literature to date. And it's something that really we're still continuing to do a lot of work on and that's evolving quite a bit. 
Since UCLA is such a big school, the importance of making quality relationships is emphasized. Finding a community in college where one feels comfortable and valued is extremely important. Allison spoke about her experience starting college. You know, in high school, one of the reasons why it can be perhaps people say it's like easier to make friends in high school is because you're forced to go to class every day, sit with the same people every single day for what, seven, eight hours every single day. Whereas in college, like technically no one's even holding you accountable for going to class. And even if you do go to all of your classes, you're only seeing people like a couple times a week. And there's so many people in all of your classes. It's hard to have repeated interaction with the same people all the, all of the time when you're in college. Um, whereas in high school, you're kind of surrounded by the same group of people all of the time. So for me, I had heard from, you know, other upperclassmen and other friends that joining clubs is a really good way to have that forced and repeated interaction with people to really get to know others. Mm -hmm. So I did join a number of organizations my first year, such as the, UC the UCLA K-pop dance team I mentioned, KBM Dance, and just joining those organizations really helped me start to meet people. And then once college transitioned to being in person, it was a good source of friendship. Kiara added her experience from when she started at UCLA. Yeah, I would call my parents at certain times and just feel like, I, like I'm so overwhelmed, like I don't, I'm doing. And yeah, I think coming in, of course, like you make friends, but it's may not like, you know, have that like deep trust, you know, right away, which is like, true um because you're just meeting all these people and so that will take time to really build that like trust with people so you can go to them when you're feeling very overwhelmed and stressed so i think that that could was isolating at first just have figuring out how to manage the different things that i had to do now that i was like kind of on my own at college and so it kind of took time to you know kind of get to know people a little bit better and trust uh, kind of build that like trust with people so I could go to them and depend on them if I needed something, which, um, yeah, I was like more toward the end of the year. I was, you know, had a close relationship with my roommates. So, you know, when I was overwhelmed, I could talk to them about it. Dr. Silvers explained why meaningful relationships are important for adolescents. I would say that what, what matters a lot is people's perceptions about whether their social relationships are satisfying or not. And this is true among young people, it's true among older people, but what I think is unique among young people is that there's a, a strong developmental need to develop friendships that are satisfying because it's part of what allows us to, be, to successfully transition from adolescence into adulthood. Our friends are really critical for performing a lot of functions. They help us to, to sort of be buffered against uh, stress and negative emotion um, in difficult times. They can teach us really valuable skills for how to regulate our emotions effectively. They are also just fun to be around and infuse our lives with, uh, with good feelings, which can also be important for our emotional health. So there's a lot of things that are important about friendships, but I think there's some reasons to believe that friendships are particularly important uh, during adolescence and also young adulthood. Along with quality of relationships, it is important to become involved in your school. Making yourself responsible to others that will also hold you accountable is important. Finding ways to become involved with like-minded people who you trust and care about can make college enjoyable. A couple of thoughts on that. I, I think one of them is connected to what I just talked about earlier, is to sort of remember the value 
of everyday connections that allow you to do things for other people and to contribute to other people. These could be small things like you're having a conversation with friends and you just offer an idea in a discussion and it's validated and it's accepted. And so one way to think about this is that when you're with your friends or in a social group or in a classroom or in your section, are you validating and giving everyone a chance to contribute, to offer their ideas and so on? And if we don't, or if we shut them down or don't give people the opportunity to give their ideas, or to contribute, that could create feelings of loneliness among other people. And the, the striking thing about loneliness is that you could be with people a lot and still feel quite lonely. Um, and I think thinking about what the way we treat other folks, not just whether or not we're helping them when they're in need, but are we giving them a chance to contribute, to have a say, and so on. Um, Another way is, you know, more concretely and even beyond that, thinking about ways that getting involved in, in clubs or activities that allow you to give back and to do things for other folks, even if they're strangers, these kinds of activities can be very validating and very positive. And there are some very interesting neurological and psychological and physiological effects that happen when you're doing things for other people, you're recognizing that you're having an impact upon others. But I think those are two concrete ways that we can sort of think about combating it. Just a, a third way, and I think this is one thing that came up during the pandemic, is one thing that I think we learned a lot from the pandemic when we really had to restrict our interactions with others early on was the value of just everyday random interactions with strangers randomly interacting with someone on the street, in the classroom, on campus, and all those kinds of things can create those kinds of feelings of connection. So you don't have to have a long-standing relationship with someone, but that idea that you are part of a community, that you're interacting with others, that kind of stuff can really make a difference as well. Kiara spoke about her own experience with finding a sense of belonging. I think when we don't feel like we are working towards something, which honestly, yeah, is very relevant to college and you know, having a major and a career we're working toward or post-grad, whatever. I think that's, yeah, very relevant. I think when we don't have something that we're working toward or maybe an end goal, we can feel kind of helpless in that way. Like what we're doing has like worth or value. And that can, I think really can disconnect us from, even if we're in like a group of people, it can kind of disconnect us from that and feel like, what am I doing here? Like, why is what I'm doing having, having any worth for this, like the greater like group I'm in or um, having any impact on like others around me? And so I think that can make someone feel a lot, some, that can make you feel a lot more insecure about yourself and your actions and not feel like you're a part of that like group anymore or included in that. So I think there's definitely a very strong connection between those two. And so that's, do, is something that we do want to prioritize and so have everyone kind of make have everyone have a role and you know we do want to make sure it's not you know too much for everyone in that way so i think also purpose can purpose is also individual you know a purpose is not i think there doesn't need to be one grand thing that people feel like they need to fulfill i think it's what you know follow what they're interested in if one of them wants to help with um, contacting an organization we want to work with and just maybe sending that email or something, you know, we can ask them what kind of tailored to how and their own strengths and what they want to, how they want to impact uh, the event or the community. And so we can do that. And then also if someone wants to do more and help with like the getting of supplies and this and that. So we want to, I think with purpose, I think how to promote or discourage loneliness in that way is to help, is to encourage people feeling that there, there's not one purpose that they need to fulfill, but rather that 
but rather they can by their, rather to shape like goals of what they want to accomplish based on their own um, based on their own interests and what they want to pursue, which is kind of what we do in the club, if that makes sense. So I think there's definitely a very strong connection that they if they're feeling like they're working towards something like that can be really fulfilling. You know, you feel like you're part of a group, like you're working toward an event. Dr. Silvers detailed the importance of friendship. Sort of defining what does it mean to have high quality relationships? What does it do for us or how do we define it? Um, a lot of it, one of the, the key things that friendships can provide for us that I, I mentioned earlier is to kind of buffer us against negative emotions to help us weather storms better. So uh, Razia Sahi, who's a, a graduate student in my lab has done a series of really cool studies showing that people are more effective at regulating their emotions when their friends help them to do it. So if you've just had um, a bad day, your boss was mean to you, um, and a friend can help you to say, you know, maybe they were just in a bad mood too. It wasn't anything you did. You're more likely to, to benefit from that kind of reframing than if you came up with it yourself. And Razia has been looking into this more and more to try to understand what are some of the features that allow people to be particularly helpful um, with regulating their friends. And a lot of it comes from their reported how strong they say their, their friendship is to begin with. So you're more likely to benefit from somebody supporting you if you trust them, if you feel like it's somebody who you can rely on, and also if you feel like it's somebody who hears you and really can listen to you and get where you're coming from. So in a whole other study, she, find, she found that um, people particularly feel better when their friends validate how they're feeling um, and sort of listen to that first before trying to do something like um, offer a suggestion for how to do things differently. So I think that there's a lot of features that there that we can sort of tap in to understand what are the features of friendship that we really care about and that make us um, that make us benefit most richly from those friendships. But those are just a few. Lastly, we asked our students what advice they have for incoming students and our professors what they would recommend to students. I would say that in choosing my closest friends, I would really focus on how I felt around those individuals instead of focusing too much on, you know, the number of people I was friends with. I tried to think more about the quality of people I was spending time with. And just, I think when you focus on finding people who make you feel good about yourself, people who bring out the best in you and the best in other people, people who are positive and people who uplift other people instead of tearing them down, I think when you find those people, that those kinds of people are the individual individuals that you really want to focus on getting a connection with rather than just finding people who are considered cool or popular or things like that. I think it's more important to find people who you genuinely feel comfortable with and happy spending time with. I think when you just try to get involved and put yourself maybe in situations where you are able to meet people, whether it's clubs or just going to an event. I think that's advocating for yourself, you know, even if it's just going to an event that's really taking the step toward helping yourself feel more connected to the community that you're in, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if you're going to like an event alone or something. I always go back to this uh, review paper that I assign in my Fiat Lux on coping and resilience, where they go through and sort of systematically evaluate what helps with loneliness. Uh, and they recommend, they, they review a few things and they come down with it to a few recommendations. So 
a lot of the interventions we have to improve loneliness or to uh, reduce loneliness are focused on helping people build connections. And I would say that the evidence for that helping is good when someone is in a context where they really just are not struggling too much mentally. They just need a little help with connecting with other folks. So for example, starting off at UCLA, this is a massive institution. That's a great place where just having, joining some clubs, joining some groups, making friends on your hall to start to try to connect with people is probably going to be a pretty great way to tackle loneliness. If you're finding that you're avoiding other people because you think that you're not interesting, because you're worried about rejection, you might want to, to tackle it that way, you know, again, of, of making connections. But you also, I would recommend, might want to tackle it by starting with some introspection. There's a lot of great work out there that can allow you to examine, um, a lot of great tools for it that can allow you to examine whether you might have some cognitive biases, for example, or tendencies to perceive the world in a way that's more likely to make you feel like you're being rejected or that people won't like you. And if you can do a little bit of fact checking with yourself, even better, do it with the assistance of a therapist uh, to try and see whether some of the issues you're having with building relationships are coming from these expectations that can be really helpful. And that's what that um, paper that I was mentioning, what it reviewed, uh, one of the things that they came up with was that trying to, to figure out how to target people's um, sort of expectations about, about social interactions being negative, whether that can be a more useful uh, way also to reduce loneliness. Because it makes it more likely that when you do start to build relationships, you're going to see them as rewarding and valuable rather than anxiety provoking and stressful. We hope that this episode helps you better understand loneliness, how it is experienced on campus, and how it can be impacted by social media. We also hope that you are now more aware of the impact of loneliness on mental and physical health. If you or someone you care about is being negatively affected by loneliness, don't be afraid to ask people for help and consider contacting UCLA CAPS. Thank you to Kyle Kotanchek, Layla Okahata, and Karina Hussein, who conducted interviews for this episode. This podcast and all other Daily Bruin podcasts are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud, and the audio and transcript for this show is available at dailybruin.com. Thank you for listening, and take care.